I've never lost the hope monster. Uh, and the hope monster's hungry and he, he has to be fed. So that that's friendships and laughing and, and good memories. And, you know, it's, it's funny and it sounds weird, but, you know, obviously that's sort of like going to be my memoir title. Hi, I'm Addison Brazil, and you're entering a world gone good. Hello and welcome to World Gone Good. My name's Steve, and I am so happy you're here with me today. World Gone Good grows our audience through listeners like you, so if you'd like to subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends about us, or any or all of the above previous and anything I just said, I give you my genuine thanks and say, please do. Here's a question. What is the good in experiencing a great loss? And by great loss, I'm talking big emotional loss, the loss of a parent or a child or a sibling. Of course, the answer is, Steve, come on, there's no good in that kind of loss. So the next question, the follow-up is this. How do we find the good after this happens? This is going to be a two-part episode where I speak to two different people who experienced great loss, and each of them share how they found and perhaps refound their good. Let's start with Tethers, Addison Brazil. Two questions to start. Is your name really Addison Brazil, and is that really your hair? <laughs> yes and yes. You know, it's funny. I get that all the time, especially being in LA, but um, that is the name I was born with. It's not a stage name. And I um, I always joke that I'm the opposite of most people. I, I need a, um, a stage name for Starbucks because Addison never ends up being what's on the cup. So I have to pretend to be other names that are simpler at Starbucks. So I'm the opposite of most people. When I got to LA, I changed my name for Starbucks, not for film. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I have a shaved head, so I'm very jealous of your, your locks. You have good hair. Well, thank you, mom and dad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I lucked out there, and uh, I guess it's been a little bit of a, a moneymaker and a calling card in my modeling days. And yeah, I'm pretty grateful for it, too. Uh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have a story behind you that leads to what you do and what you're doing now with your app called Tether. So I want to let you have the floor and tell your story however you're comfortable telling it, because I think that's what's going to lead us into this conversation. So the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, my story can be very long and it can be very short. And as I've gotten used to, you know, being a spokesperson over the years, I've learned how to tell it uh, much shorter. Um, but the gist of it is um, that in doing all the things that you do in, in your 20s and learning to be an adult and a man in this world, I, uh, I really came up against some very big challenges. Um, I also had some very big triumphs, and um, I consider myself to still be one of the um, most blessed people in the world. I just, my support system goes beyond, and I, I'm so grateful for that. But um, I did, um, at the age of 20, I, lo I lost my brother to cancer. And um, out of that experience, uh, I started a foundation for children and families affected by brain tumors, which is called Team Brother Bear. And it still runs to this day in affiliation with Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. Um, and then I, I went and I finished school. I danced on scholarship. I got to perform. Uh, I did a lot of fun things traveling the world. And um, 
you know, they say that losing a child is the is the hardest thing that somebody can go through. And um, I, I, I'm going to I always say I had all eyes on my mom when my brother passed. And it turned out that that my dad um, was struggling very silently. And um, and he he by the time he asked for help, he had kind of a quick turnaround. And, and we ended up losing my dad. Uh, to to suicide in July 2012. And um, I was the one who was kind of um, looking after him at that point. Um, I guess the most trusted person in his circle. And um, I was also the one who found him. So um, I was introduced sort of into what it feels like to have compounded grief, um, PTSD, and um, sort of uh, the sadness, anger, and mixture of emotions that kind of come with you know, being 23 years old and suddenly being the only boy left in your big family. Um, so needless to say, um, personally, no matter what I was doing, um, when I decided to move out to LA, mental health has always been a very, very strong focus for me. Um, and I and I was very committed to not just surviving uh, what I had been through, but thriving. And, and I know that sounds kind of catchy, but um, I actually didn't know until I met a coach and a mentor years later that that, you know, uh, that that's possible. And that's really a frame of mind and a mindset. And, um, and I, um, I wanted that. Um, and I, I was growing towards that. I kind of went to the end of the earth for my mental health journey. I tried everything from coaching to therapy, to meditation, just, just all the, all the things that the wellness community has to offer and that mental health professionals could offer. And, um, I did, I, I found my balance, um, and I, I prioritized my mental health and sort of on the cusp of celebrating that. Um, as you know, I, I, uh, went out to celebrate and on the way home, uh, I was in a horrible accident with my friend, um, and uh, she passed um, on impact, essentially. And uh, I was left um, hospitalized, relearning to walk and sort of relearning what it meant to be a man at this point in my life and how to operate and love and just show up in the world because it was just so far from sort of anything that I um, that I ever dreamed of. Um, and like I said, through, through all of that, uh, I was so so graciously supported by a a support system that really does span the world. And um, my wealth of my life has come from cultivating meaningful relationships and and having that support. Um, So those, those, uh, I guess those three events in my life could become, um, you know, for a lot of people, it could, it could, I guess, become and it almost was something that sort of um, took me down, for lack of better words. I mean, there was about where, you know, from the accident, I had chronic pain and I, I became suicidally depressed at one point. And during that point, I actually connected with um, a friend of mine named Matt, um, Matt Zerker, who is the founder of Tether. And uh, he just posted something on Facebook. He was going, he had lost a friend suddenly and he was going through something deeper. And I could just tell. And I reached out to him and I said, look, I know we weren't really friends in, in high school. Uh, but hey, I'm here, and I understand on a deeper level my, what you might be going through. And and I don't. I always say to everybody, like no matter how much grief I've encountered, you know, you have to honor your own journey because it's so unique to every person and every loss uh, and every relationship. Um, but we sort of had this relationship where we had both done this thing where we were where we were just seeking help wherever we could get it and trying to make sense of things. And and it was this really beautiful 
balanced, boundary-driven relationship of peer support. Um, and it just was going back through messages. And, you know, there were times where he was, you know, feeling a little more in crisis. And I remember, you know, taking the call and, and coaching him through that and helping him to crisis resources and then and then vice versa. And um, it wasn't on purpose then, but looking back now, it very much is sort of a beta of, of what Tether is, which is a men's mental health and well-being platform. Um, and um, simpler said, an app that's available now on the app store um, for all men. And um, yeah, he he kind of came up with the idea of Tether. And I remember at the time sort of being overwhelmed and and um, I was I was working for myself sort of as a conscious connector at the time. And and I had a lot of people coming to me with ideas because I'm really good at sort of brand building and taking something and and, and making it something bigger. And I, I said, you know, if if when you're ready, you know, you come back to me, like when we're past the idea, like if you really want to do this, I'm so in and I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll throw all my resources at you. And uh, he did. He he sold his house. Uh, he quit his lucrative job as a hedge fund manager. And he found our other co-founders, uh, Burke White and Denny Park, and he built Tether. And um, a few short months later, I, I, I kind of came back on board when they were at that stage and we sort of all joined forces and I've been involved in building the brand and the impact Tether has ever since. Okay. There is a lot that just happened. When you're in it, do you remember at the time looking for a good, knowing there was a good, knowing there was another side? How did you bridge yourself yeah you know it's it's interesting i you know i i might have rolled my eyes a decade ago at someone who would say what i'm about to say but um after some some deep work like i i can i can very clearly see in retrospect that you know i i had a very specific curriculum and um i'm i'm not gonna lie like when when we lost my brother um, I did what a normal young guy in college would do. And, and I tried to sort of bury it with him. You know, I tried to ignore my grief and I didn't pay attention to it and, and it showed up in other ways and, and not necessarily over just, um, necessarily destructively, just, uh, you know, for me, it was actually an overachieving. I was overachieving to a level that was sort of at a deficit and, um, and, and the reason I say that is, is, you know, so after my brother, I kind of, you know, I lay it all out in the beginning and then we can dive in wherever we want within the time confines. But specifically for, for my grief processes, as each grief process happened, and then of course with the accident, I'm not only grieving a friend, but I'm, I was grieving my life as I knew it, as far as my body and, and you know, my injuries were concerned at the time. Um, but yes, um, my friends, my friends closest to me, um, you know, I, I would have like sort of these awful, awful days. And then it would kind of, I would kind of write in a text like, but hope monster. And that kind of became my nickname is that like, sort of, there's this thing inside of me that feeds off hope. And, and it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, I have a really dark, fun sense of humor. I went all the way through the groundlings in LA and like, you know, improv and I, I've written comedy for other people and I've, I've written my own pilot. Like I, you know, I humor just was my brother's way of getting through cancer. And it's something that has just carried our family through where we're, you know, we're that HBO style of dark comedy where it's just, it's so serious at certain points you have to laugh. And in some points um, specifically my sister and I, we laugh when other people, 
people cry and we cry when other people laugh. Like I, I cry very hard when I witness people being kind to each other. Um, and I have been in the front pew of funerals laughing hysterically. And, and, you know, uh, when I was younger, I would sort of like let people kind of tell me what, <laughs> what I should and shouldn't be doing. And now like I have a very kind of strong sentiment of that, that like, you, you know, you honor the journey, like whatever's actually coming up. And so to answer your question, like, yes, like weirdly, it was like one of those, like, it was like someone getting knocked down in like one of those scary movies where they keep getting back up and everybody's like, just stay down, man. Like he keeps, like, it's going to hit you again. Like, <laughs> why do you keep getting back up and being like, I'm resilient. Like I'm going to, you know, found an organization. I'm going to help people that have been through what I've been through. And like, I don't really know why those were the things that came to me and the way that I dealt with my grief and, and my sort of traumatic experiences. But, um, they all taught me something and I just, I, I never, except for one little blip um, in in June of last year before Tether was born, uh, I've never lost the hope monster. Uh, and the hope monster's hungry and he, he has to be fed. So that that's friendships and laughing and, and good memories. And, you know, it's, it's funny and it sounds weird, but, you know, obviously that's sort of like going to be my memoir title or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't know why, but I was given this like really amazing contagious gift that is sort of this hope monster within me, um, that, that refuses to not be fed much like my dog. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I didn't like, of course there were always times where I really like, you know, it was explained to me at one point with post-traumatic with, you know, with finding my dad um, and a trigger warning, of course, for anybody listening, but I did find my dad um, hanging and, um, and that just comes with sort of like a whole new world of triggers and, and sort of mental trauma. Whereas with the accident, it was a physical trauma. Like I would have physical responses to stimuli versus with my dad, it was like things that reminded me of that experience. Um, and you know, the way it's explained to me is like when you're dealing with trauma, you know, when, when your trauma is kind of at a one, a two, a three, it's like you're wearing glasses. And at four or five, you know, you, you still know you're wearing glasses. If you get up into eight, nine, 10, those glasses are turning into context and you're losing the lens that you see. And I, I, I've lost the lens a couple of times where I sort of became re-traumatized and I wasn't in a position to kind of whether, whatever it was, grounding myself through breath work, asking for help, connecting with other people where I wasn't able to kind of get the glasses off, if that makes any sense. That metaphor really helped me. Um, and And so I guess I just sort of, you know, it was like a decade of learning, you know, the hard way of many times that like, you know, when, when things are at a two or a three, you know, you're getting those little triggers throughout the day, or you're, you, there's extra stressors um, outside of before doing all the mindset work that I did. Uh, you know, you have to take care of that. You know, you're still, you're still bringing a three down. You're still bringing a five down. If you're waiting until you get to a nine out of 10 in any extreme emotion, you know, at that point, you're, you're sort of on the brink of crisis. And, um, and a lot of what you'll be doing is just trying to actually solve what's happening in that moment, rather than that overall experience and that overall picture, which isn't really solving at all. It's just building a daily relationship with the grief and loss that you've encountered. Tell everybody what Team Brother Bear is, and where how it started. 
Gosh, yeah, the OG spokesperson. You know, I've been talking so much about Tether and the film we produced um, that I haven't been talking about Team Brother Bear. But Team Brother Bear um, is a nonprofit organization that was actually founded while my brother was still alive. Um, many of its elements were founded on me going to his bedside, and at the time he couldn't talk, and so I would get like a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and that's that's how we found it. It was this beautiful thing. A bunch of very young people, friends and family that knew my brother, all came together about. 20 of us and we made this organization with the specific focus of supporting uh families um and of course the children that had the brain tumors but the family unit as a whole and providing direct support because we had seen so closely um what it does to a family and not everybody you, you know had the same resources that we had or you know i, I had step parents as well as parents so it's like it was four parents plus grandparents and like it was a struggle i'm not gonna lie like dealing um and caring for a child that is terminally ill is obviously, you know, as you know, that it's a full-time job for everybody Well, when they're taking care of themselves and also, of course, um, trying to make memories and give as much of a normal experience as possible. So what that's become, like we used to hold annual galas, you know, back in the pre-pandemic, um, what that's become is a, a very strong and uh, special relationship with the hospital here in Toronto, Sick Kids Hospital, um, which is one of the foremost in the world. And actually the social worker, every patient is, is assigned a social worker um, just to help kind of like a to guide through the process of, of a child's diagnosis. and. Uh, David Bramstone, who was my my brother's, is actually now the head of the social unit. And so we work together every year around the holidays to give um, five to 10 families that are most in need, whatever they need to uh, make those holidays as special as possible, whether it's necessities, um, uh, gifts, uh, whatever it is, whatever we can do so that the family can focus on what matters most, which is just um, making memories and uh, supporting and loving each other. How does somebody support Team Brother Bear? Is there a website? Is there a place they can make yeah, a donation? Yeah, Team Brother Bear is uh, teambrotherbear.ca. And actually this year, uh, like everybody and, and everything, um, the COVID pivot on that is what I'm actually going to be setting up is going to be a lot more similar to uh, what you get for a wedding registry or a baby showers registry. So each family, I'll actually set up Amazon registries and it will be kind of cool because in the past people have donated and then I, I learn about the families and then I go and you know shop for all eight families and, and curate everything. But this will be cool because people will get to sort of pick gifts or pick necessities out for them and feel like a little bit more connected to that direct support. So it's, it will get even more direct from donor to um, recipient, which I'm actually pretty excited about um, uh, as much as, you know, shopping for eight families every year, the week of Christmas is uh, <laughs> it's, it's as exciting <laughs> as that sounds, uh, you know, to, to brave, uh, you know, Walmart and all the shops uh, on that week uh, and then deliver everything by, by Christmas Eve to the hospital. It, it, it is really special and it sort of has become my Christmas, um, you know, sort of the way I still spend it with my brother, if that makes any sense. Um, and uh yeah that's that's the main way and team brother bear has instagram too but if anybody wants to get involved it's generally through uh the website 
Now, Tether, which you said was created from by your friend, and then you became involved after. Is that correct? Is that how I understood that? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like anything, it sort of, it was his idea, and then he found us as co-founders. Um, so he, you know, he he found uh, Burke White, who is our head of product. Who, you know, his skill set was to develop the app, the product itself. He found Denny Park, who's our CTO, who, you know, from what I understand from all the meetings I take, has done something miraculous in building what Tether is in, in three months um, single-handedly. And he found me as a co-founder uh, when it came to the social impact and the brand side of building the community and the relationship, how we show up to everything. So, um, you know, Tether itself was, of course, his idea. Um, and then he did what any great leader does. And he sort of brought on co-founders that could make sure that that idea became a reality. And I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, he trusted me with that responsibility and let me get involved when I did. Is it mostly for men or is it for men and women? So it's for, it's for men and uh, it is really in response to uh, the hidden men's mental health crisis, as we call it. Um, you know, our statistics showing that 75% pre-COVID, so this is all expected to be escalated, but pre-COVID, 75% of men um, are identifying with having stress, depression, or anxiety, and 40% saying that they wouldn't ask for help uh, unless they already felt suicidal or inflicting self-harm. And so that gap of those two statistics really guides us. And there's a lot of other statistics on, you know, how men um, at, a, at a certain age just feel lonely um, all the time or feel like they don't have more than one person they can talk to things about. And, um, you know, from my point of view, I realized that the last decade just wouldn't have been possible. I don't think I'd be here today without the peer support I received and, and the support system I have. Um, and for Matt, his life-changing experience happened in a men's group where he shared in, in a safe space and uh, the container was held for him. And sort of he, he realized sort of the value of that and how, um, how like everything else, the technology would need to follow. And thank God he did, because now we're obviously in quarantines and isolations and dealing with a pandemic where the app is, is providing that um, when, you know, all the facilitation in men's groups are shut down. Um, so it does, it does specifically, the app itself uh, caters specifically to all men, um, regardless of age, sexual orientation, economic status. The MVP is downloadable on the Apple Store. It's free, um, and we are we have a very exciting roadmap, I should say, ahead of of what's to come. Um, but but yeah, it's um, that it's sort of our response to the men's mental health crisis and sort of uniting men and and supporting them. Um, and sort of redefining what it means to be a man in, in 2020. Um, another statistic that gets thrown out a lot that we hear is that 93% of men don't agree with, with the depicted societal view of what masculinity is. So, you know, if we're all not agreeing anyways, let's, right. let's, uh, let's show up and let's, let's, you know, like do it with our full selves and, um, the brand itself is an inclusive brand and, and it offers benefit to everyone. Like uh, I'm sure if you follow our Instagram or you read our blogs or, you know, we are a resource for anyone who has a man in their life as well. And I do always like to say sort of from a, an impact place that it is my true belief that when uh, a man takes care of his mental health and well-being, that it obviously positively affects everybody around him. You know, I noticed this a long time ago which is that when parents are on a play playground with small children and a little boy falls down 
they go, get up, buddy, you know, wipe it off. You're fine. You're fine. Go, go, go. And if a little girl falls down, they go, oh, are you okay? How do you feel? And she usually is given permission to feel, to cry, to laugh, to go, I'm fine, to feel whatever she wants. But even at the youngest of age, we tell males, get up, you know, wipe it off, keep going. You're okay. Don't worry about it. You don't feel anything. And I, I think it's so interesting how from the youngest of ages, that's programmed into us that we shouldn't, you know, I was, I was in a meeting at work and I got so frustrated. This is so many years ago. I got so frustrated with what was happening and it was just wrong what was going down. And I had to like put my hand, like I'm doing it right now. You can't see, but I sort of put my hand over my eyes. Like I was shielding it from the sun because I was about to cry. Like I got that frustrated because my, my body was like, just like, I, I wasn't getting angry. I was just so frustrating. And across the table of all these, this other man said across mostly white men, I'm white, one or two women in the group. And he goes, Silverman, are you going to cry right now? And I like looked up and I was probably bright red. The two women in the group both go, are you okay? And I'm like, and all the men are looking at me like, what is wrong with you? But the two women got it. And I said, no, excuse me. And I got up, I had to walk away. And it was later that I spoke to those women and they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And all the guys were making fun of me. But I just, I was 20 something years old. I couldn't process everything that was happening. I was so frustrated, but I was shut down. I was emotionally shut down. And I was also made fun of and humiliated. Like, you're not, you're not man enough. You didn't handle this. You're not, you know, masculine enough, you know, and it's, it's what is ingrained in us. Absolutely. And, and I love, you know, what you, the examples you use just also show that, that, that does so commonly happen that, that men, um, we just launched, I'm sure you saw, and I I don't know if you swear, you don't swear on the podcast, but we launched um, our new campaign, which is we F with feelings. Um, And the reason that the, the F word is, is put in that sentence is that it's so interchangeable. You, you know, that you can, that can mean so many things and it can be personalized to so many different people, but the emphasis being on with feelings and what, what we've noticed a lot and what I noticed in my life, I I had this, you know, light bulb moment with a life coach, um, Jennifer Merrifield. She's, amazing, amazing woman I met on a plane by accident and she's been changed my whole life. Um, and she, she, she was mentoring me and, and she said, well, how do you feel? And I said, uh, I feel worthless. Um, and she, and she said, um, okay, well, that's not, that's not a feeling. That's a thought. And I just kind of had this moment where I went, I was going back like hyperspeed in my mind going, oh my God, I don't remember the last time I felt a feeling I've been feeling thoughts of like, uh, well, I'm tough. Well, I should get through this. Well, I'm feeling like I'll be fine. I'm feeling, you know, all these sort of descriptive words around not actually having a feeling like a genuine experience of sad, angry, depressed, whatever it was. And, and I've noticed that in men, um, they, they, they express themselves through thoughts and not feelings. And so we're, we're really trying to encourage that where it's like, you know, how did you feel that? Because like you said, we were conditioned to go to a thought, like uh, I'm a man. Okay. That's not a feeling. Yeah. That like, so let's check in. And what is the feeling associated with how you felt in that moment? And, and it's funny because as a healthy processing, when you go back in memories to kind of catch yourself when you're, when you're creating thoughts 
and constructing things based on limited beliefs and story versus what the actual feeling is and what's actually happening experientially to you in a moment. And just that, the amount of relief, um, of, I don't want to say getting the permission, but, but um, accepting the power of choosing feelings over thoughts and realizing that that is such a strong, masculine, uh, positive, masculine thing to do um, in 2020 is something that I've really seen change lives like almost instantly, you know, to be able to acknowledge and to be able to share and be um, heard and actively heard by other people. And, and sort of like you said, not, not paraphrased into I'm going to fix you up and like make sure you appear to be a man in this moment. But, you know, I, I hear that you're feeling really sad right now. What does that feel like in your body? You know, what would, what would make that feel better? Or, or do you want to honor it for a while? You know, it's like, and this is something that peers can do with each other. I've intentionally stayed at the peer support level, regardless of sort of my potential or intelligence, because, you know, I, I want to be one of the guys and I want to go to the, the limits of what peers can do for each other. Uh, and I, I've become very passionate about that as a lived experience expert and a peer support advocate is, you know, how do we support each other around the professional help? How do we support each other around the availability of wellness techniques and consumerism right now? You know, because that's that's really where the magic is. And that's where it's been for me. And, you know, that's what Tether really seeks to do is to teach the power of peer support um, through action. The way I wrap these shows up is I ask three questions. Don't panic. They're really easy. Just go with your gut is what I tell everybody. Question number one, who inspires you? You know what? I'm finding inspiration in so many different places right now. But if the who is sort of, it's a type and it's just, despite everything that's going on right now, I'm so inspired by those that choose kindness and that are willing to take a moment to express gratitude and love for other people. I mean, there's every excuse in the book to worry and go inward. And, and you know, I'm witnessing these beautiful moments of people that are just willing to do that. And, you know, I said, I, I cry when people are kind to each other. So I take very big notice of that. But just from the smallest gestures, like just it's such an important thing right now, our humanity and, and the way we're treating each other and the way we, we champion each other to learn from mistakes versus canceling each other. Um, so anyone who's willing to do that um, right now uh, is is inspiring me. This can be anything you want. It can be based on what we've already talked about. It can be something that's just in your head. Go with your gut. Tell me something good. Something good uh, is that despite everything that's going on in the world right now, one of my best friends and who's a life coach, Zach Pempreys, I'm going to give him a shout out. Um, him and his wife, Sheena, gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby girl and uh and that just has brought so much light to my week even if it's just through pictures and seeing a smile on facetime and now the easiest question of all where can people find you yeah, it's easy and it's hard because it's it's everywhere um i'm addison brazil a-d-d-i-s-o-n-b-r-a-s-i-l brazil like the country but with an s as my dad used to always say uh and then tether is tether t-e-t-h-r for men on Instagram and uh, we're tether T E T H R on the app store. And um, we are so grateful 
for all the men who have joined us and even more so for all the people who champion us and share our message with the men who need us um, or who maybe just would benefit from, from learning about what we do and how we gather. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, and yeah, also I'm just going to do a quick shout out. There's just so many things going on. I am the co-producer of a film that's coming out very soon, a short film that has a mental health narrative called The Great Artist. And it was directed by the two-time Ken award-winning director Indrani um, and stars Matthew Pulsifway and uh, the Emmy-nominated Rain Valdez. And that's, that's coming out um, in the next month or so. And um, we're very excited about that too. Thank you, Addison, for sharing your story, your truth, your good. Next time on World Gone Good. Negativity takes up so much energy and space. And it's so easy to be negative when you've been through so much. Janice Brown's story is as compelling as Addison's. It's part two of our episode exploring great loss and how we find the good after it. I hope you'll join me. Until then, be good.